Amen. May God make it so. May he cause us to be those who make much of Jesus this morning. Hey, well, this morning we're going to do something just a little bit different. Although we do it rather, rather rap- regularly here as a church, we're going to begin with a real Christmas quiz. So here's the deal. If you opened your Bible, close it. That's like cheating. You can't look at it. We'll have you open it in a moment. Instead, we're going to pass out some Christmas quiz sheets. So we have our ushers and greeters. They're going to start passing them out now. Uh, so they're going to bring by. If you need a pen, they have those as well. Though if you have a pen, you don't have to grab it. We want to invite you to grab hold of this to join us in kind of a regular Christmas tradition for us as a church just to come at this account of the birth of Christ in a way of seeing it just in a real way. So again, hoping as you guys get ready to take this that you be able to grab one of those sheets, a pen, so you can be a part of this. Just invite you in the overflow for that as well. You can come grab one. But even those online, honestly, you don't need the piece of paper that I have here. You can use anything. I mean, a sticky note, a piece of paper, there's going to be about 15 questions. And so yeah, you'll want to be able to just to have a space where you can kind of answer multiple choice, kind of mostly A, B, C, or D, you know, kind of thing. So it should be something you can use on any piece of paper. And we hope you would do that this morning as we kind of step into a reality of wanting to see this. Now, here's the deal. We, we have done this, again, not every year, but consistently enough that for some of you, you are expecting this and you're ready. So here's the deal. For some of you, I know you're going to get 100, okay? I just, I believe in you. I mean, I believe in you now, and I hope you do. Um, and yet, I hope that in the others that just God would meet us in a way, helping us see the reality of this. Now, that's really the aim, and so let me just kind of preface it. You know, we think about this whole thing, and we've titled, you know, this quiz, A Real Christmas quiz. And the idea is to focus on that, the idea of reality, that we want to see not the stories, not the man-made stories. We want to understand what the Bible tells us about the birth of Jesus. And so longing that that would be what God brings us to. So let's kind of begin with a practice couple questions. On the sheet there, you have a couple places for it, so you can kind of think this through. I want you to answer these, but again, they're not going to count against you in the score that you are going to have to keep and tally at the end. Well, not have to. I'm not going to force you to, but encourage you to. So question number one, Uh, the ghost of Christmas past was A, the first ghost, B, the second ghost, C, the third ghost, D, none of the above. So you kind of record that again. We're kind of aiming at reality, what the Bible tells us about it. So you go there, write that in the midst of that. Number two, question, practice question. Christmas, December 25th is Jesus's birthday. True or false? True or false? So you can kind of answer it there on your practice questions again, just so you can kind of begin to understand where we're going. So these are practices. So what's the answer? If you put a, for the ghost of Christmas past, then you know your Christmas movies or Christmas stories, Scrooge kind of deal, but you missed the point. It's not actually in the Bible. So the actual answer is D, none of the above, because uh, I'm not asking you what you know about Christmas movies. I'm asking you what does the Bible tell you about Christmas, and the story of Ebenezer Scrooge is not found in the pages of Scripture. So again, that's not there. So as a real Christmas quiz, we're going to what the Bible says. That takes us to practice question two. December 25th is Jesus' birthday, and the answer is false. Uh, No, I mean, we don't have any indication of that, you know, in the midst of it from Scripture. So let me just be very, very clear. The Bible does not give us a date 
for the birth of Christ. It never tells us when Jesus was born, even during the year. There's nothing that kind of leans solidly into that, so everything is just a guess. Now, Christmas has been celebrated as the birth of Christ, but it really wasn't even started being celebrated as the birth of Christ until 440 years later, when the church officially proclaimed Christmas to be a commemoration of Jesus's birth. But here's what's important. It wasn't done because of evidence. It wasn't done because they solidly believed it. It was done to replace a pagan feast that was part of the Roman world at that point in time. Now, again, I just pause to say this. For some of you, you understand that. Some of you, you don't. And here's the deal. For some people, that's a troubling reality. And so there are some that look at Christmas and they think, hey, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I don't do Christmas traditions. Uh, we don't walk in that because they're not actually found in the Bible. Hey, that's great. That, that, that's fine. I mean, that's a great way to do that. Make Jesus why you do that. Make him the focus. That's great. Others like, you know, would look at this and say, hey, this idea of capturing our culture and saying, let's make Jesus about everything. And, and you would say, I'm going to take Christmas and make it all about Jesus. That's great as well. Either way, we're inviting you to make much of Jesus. But this morning, what I'm inviting you to understand is what is the real deal? Not what history says, not what people say, not what stories say, but what does the Bible tell us about the birth of Jesus? Because Jesus was born, and that's worth us knowing. That's worth us celebrating, and that's what our quiz is about this morning. So if you did good or you did bad, doesn't matter. Those were just practices. Put those aside. Now we're going to get to the real ones and see how well you can do. All right. Number one. Which Gospels have accounts of Jesus' birth in them? A, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. B, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. C, Matthew and Luke. D, Mark and John. So write your answer, circle your answer on, on your pages, which one you think it is. Number two. Who told Joseph to go to Bethlehem? A, the government. B, an angel. C, Mary's mother. D, the Bible. Number three. I realize it's fast. Somebody's like, yeah, I need more time, but it's just, it's the way it works for us, time's sake. Need to work through it. So number three, on what did Mary ride to Bethlehem? A, a dinosaur. Some of you are going to put that just because you can. Uh, B, a donkey. Uh, C, a camel. D, none of the above. Number four, why did Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem? A, it was where they lived. B, it was where Elizabeth was. C, Joseph was David's heir. D, none of the above. All right, hope you guys are doing well. Don't give anybody the answers next to you. You know, kind of just walk in and just kind of see what this is, see how you do. And you guys are doing great. I can tell. I can see your faces. You guys are like, I got this already. I've already, already got this all down, and you're going to do really, really well. Uh, number five, Joseph and Mary arrived in Bethlehem the night that Jesus was born. True or false? Number six, what is the biblical description of Bethlehem as the place of Jesus' birth. When the Bible describes Jesus being born in Bethlehem, how does it describe Bethlehem? Is it A, nothing good comes from it, B, that it is a little city, C, that it was Ruth's city, D, that it was Rachel's city? 
All right. Number seven. What did the innkeeper tell Joseph? A, you're not welcome here. B, there's no room in the inn. C, you can have my room. D, none of the above. Number eight. Which animals were present at Jesus' birth? A, sheep. B, sheep and cattle. C, sheep, cattle, and pigs. D, none of the above. Number nine. What did the angel not tell the shepherds? So we're going to give you some things here. So the angels spoke to the shepherds the night that Jesus was there and, and, and told them a number of things. And so most of this is going to be accurate, but one of these is not what the angel said. So which is that one? Is it A, do not be afraid. B, I bring you the gospel. C, there is born to you a savior. D, behold, the virgin will be with child. Which one is not found in the angel's proclamation? Number 10. What were the swaddling cloths and the manger to the shepherds? Was it A, guides to find Jesus with, B, things they provided Jesus with, C, what Mary showed them, D, what the innkeeper provided? All right, two-thirds of the way there. You guys are doing good. You're looking confident out there, some of you. <laughs> Number 11. Swaddling cloths are A, baby clothes, B, diapers, C, blankets, D, grave clothes. Number 12. So a manger is... A, a bassinet, B, a hollowed-out rock, C, a cave, D, a wooden barn. Number 13. What did the angels proclaim at Jesus' birth? So the angels have this kind of encounter with the shepherds, and then they make this proclamation, this angelic you know, host of angels make this incredible proclamation at this moment. Is it A, glory to God, peace on earth, B, hallelujah, Emmanuel, C, Noel, to the newborn king, D, holy, 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 the Lord reigns? Number 14, the shepherds responded to Jesus' birth. Like, so they get this, pro this proclamation, this announcement. How did they respond to what they see? Is it A, by making a sacrifice? B, by going home another way? C, by making Jesus widely known? D, by giving him gifts? All right, guys, last one. Number 15. Paul tells us that when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. So it is a proclamation from Paul saying that when God sent Jesus at the right time, how did he send him or why did he send him? Was it A, that we might go to heaven? B, to have the best Christmas ever? 
C, to seal up vision and prophecy. D, to adopt us as his children. All right. You guys ready to see how you did? Kind of ready to see how that works? Well, okay. Again, I know there's going to be some hundreds here. So excited about that. Hey, grab a Bible. Open up with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 2. Most of our questions and answers are going to be found there. And I want you to not just hear the answers. I want you to see them in the text. I want you to hear the Word of God. We're having a little bit of fun this morning trying to take a quiz and have some fun with that. But really, we want you to hear the Word of God. We want you to see what the Bible says. So hopefully you have a Bible. If you don't, there's Bibles in front of you in the, tra- in the chairs in front of you, page number on the screen. Um, if you want to use an electronic device, that's great. But again, we want to invite you to hear and see the Word of God. And so, hey, if you're in the overflow, if you're joining us online, please hear the same invitation. We want you to hear God this morning. And so we're inviting you to have a Bible so that as we pursue the answers to this, you're hearing and seeing what God tells us in His Word. So as you're opening up the Bible, let's pause for a quick moment, and let's do what we often do on Sunday mornings as we approach this. Let's just pause and pray that God would help us, not just to get the answers to the quiz, but to hear the Word of God, what He has for us this morning. Would you join me right now? Father, we think about this morning, and we think about just gazing into the reality of the birth of Christ, and I just want to ask that you'd help us to see and hear as we open up your Word. Would you open our hearts to your truth? Would you cause us to be those who see and comprehend what you're speaking to us? Would you give us understanding? And then would you speak to us so that a piece of this would not just be interesting or kind of confirming or challenging, but it would draw us to the reality of this morning, the reality of our celebration, the reality of this focus. Would you help us to hear from you? And by your spirit, would you even work right here and right now so that your truth is proclaimed? I ask for help in that. We ask for that. Give us ears to hear what you're speaking. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, let's work through it. Number one, which Gospels have accounts of Jesus' birth in them? The answer is C, that Matthew and Luke are the Gospels that have accounts of Jesus' birth. Mark doesn't have an account. It just jumps right away to him serving. John doesn't go into the birth of Christ. He takes us into eternity past and then just launches into his ministry. The only accounts of the birth of Jesus are in Matthew and Luke. By the way, that should do something for us. See, here's the deal. Uh, You know, celebrating the birth of Christ is not a bad thing, being those who recognize that. But sometimes I find myself thinking this. If people were to look at the church calendar at times, they might assume that Christmas is the most important day out of the entire year. But I want to tell you biblically, that's not so. Not so at all. It's not that we're not, we don't find the birth of Christ significant, but it's not even recorded, but in half the Gospels. But understand this, when we think about Jesus' death and resurrection, 40% of the Gospels focus there. I mean, that the weight of the thing is for us going there. So again, even by answering this question, it should help us understand, yeah, Jesus being born is incredible, but everything points to the death and resurrection of Christ, and that weight should even be in the way that we approach this morning, in the way that we approach this. So a good question for us to ask. What well, question number two, who told Joseph to go to Bethlehem? Well, let's look. You got your Bibles there? Luke chapter 2, begin with me there in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. 
So all went to be registered, every one to his own city. So who told him to go? Well, it was right there in verse 1. It's Caesar Augustus, or it is A. It's the government. It's the government that actually caused Joseph to make this journey over to Bethlehem. By the way, that's kind of significant. I, I just think that it's really fun that as we begin to read this account of the birth of Jesus, that it begins this way because it gives us this perspective. Here's the deal. I think if I could take you back to that day, this would have been the talk of the town. Like, can you believe what Caesar's doing? Like, I can't believe that he's made, this is not something they did all the time. I mean, they, this was some arbitrary, some weird taxation thing. Surely this was the, you know, just talk of the town of their frustration. But little did they know God was working, that God was sovereignly behind the scenes, shaping the world for the coming of his son. And I think this account could meet you today as well. See, here's the deal. It's easier to read this on the page than it is to look at our day and recognize God is still sovereign. God is still sovereign over the affairs of men, over nations. And as much as we're excited about Jesus coming the first time, I'm more excited that he's coming again. And I want to tell you that our world is being shaped. I mean, and there's something about it where you can just rest and say, you know what? It's not in the hands of men. It's not in the hands of governments. Even if they make, God is shaping our world. And that's exciting. And in one sense, to feel the weight of the sovereign hand of God moving into this, I think, is part of the account in Scripture that should meet you at the very beginning. All right. Number three, on what did Mary ride to Bethlehem? Well, now we get to verses four and five. So you notice it there. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So what did Mary ride to Bethlehem? Well, in the text, none of the above is the right answer. None of the above is the right answer. Now, I know this. I know this for some of you. I mean, you're just like, no, Jim, it's a donkey. It's a, I've seen it. I mean, I have watched the play a hundred times. There's always a donkey. But I just want to point out, it's not in the text. It just says that Joseph went up from Galilee with Mary. That's all that it said. Could she have ridden a donkey? Of course. I mean, it could have happened. I mean, it might have happened. But we also know this. Eight days later, when Jesus is named, they actually make a sacrifice. And it, the sacrifice that they make is allowed by Leviticus for those who are the poorest of the poor, who have nothing. And so it would not be surprising that they didn't even have a donkey. I mean, there's just not, I mean, could she, maybe she rode a donkey, but she, it's just equally as likely that she walked. Either way, here's the deal. It's not in the text. It's not in the text. And I know this. I, I mean, I, I, over the years, people are like, no, I know it's there. I mean, I, I'm going to find it. I mean, surely you're right. It's, there's just no donkey in the text, just FYI. So again, add it to the scripture or just seen that way. Not bad to see it, but neither is it the focus. Well, that draws us to question number four. Why did Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem? Well, we already read it, but go back and see it again in verse four. Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because. Now that because is kind of the weight of the moment. Because he was of the house and the lineage of David. Answer to the question is C, Joseph is David's heir. Joseph is David's heir. Now, this is really, really important, by the way. It might not sound important, but God included it in the scripture. This is a God who keeps his promises, a God who told David, from you, from your descendants, 
is that the, the Messiah is going to come. That it had to come through David's descendants. And so it lets us know even in this that there's a, a way that that's moving to a way that God fulfills his promises. That even in this things are happening that you could just look at it and say, our God is a sovereign God. Our God is a God who's keeping his promises. And you should feel that weight in the account of Jesus' birth. All right. Number five. Joseph and Mary arrived in Bethlehem the night that Jesus was born. Well, let's look at it. Verse 6. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. So answer to the question, it's actually false. It's actually false. I mean, it just tells us. I mean, just notice the way he says it in the text. So it was that while they were there... The days were completed for her to give birth. Now, I know this. I know that somebody like, no, Jim, I have watched the plays. I have seen it. They come, I mean, they come skidding into town, riding on a donkey, and Joseph is knocking on all the doors. And I mean, it happens that night. I saw it, and I understand that. I understand that's how it kind of works in the drama that fills into to, to Sunday school classes. But here's the deal. That's not the way it happened. I mean, it seems to read that they were there for a number of days. And then the days are completed. Was it a week? Was it five days? Was it a month? I don't know. But it wasn't, it seemed to be that they were already there. By the way, this is kind of helpful, by the way, because I, I know some people are like, I can't believe that Joseph made her travel when she was nine months pregnant. You know, I just, that's just terrible. Such a man. I just want to tell you, probably didn't. I mean, probably didn't. I mean, it's probably like, they're, they're like, okay, you're pregnant. We're going early. I mean, it's like, we're not going to, you know, we're not traveling. They probably were there for a space in time. And so again, it's just the way that sometimes we've heard the story and we assume it's part of the scripture. It's just not actually in the text. And that's what we're aiming for. So again, the answer is false. So you guys are doing good, right? I mean, so far hundreds, I mean, got everybody's like rocking this. You're like ready to, 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 to get the rest of it. We'll keep going. Number six, what is the biblical description of Bethlehem as the place of Jesus' birth? Well, this one's found in the prophet Micah. In Micah, it tells us, But you, Bethlehem Epaphrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one, to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, I'm going to bring forth the one. I mean, it's this incredible story, but he says it's going to happen through Bethlehem. And he gives us an account of it. He says, Bethlehem, he says, though you are little among the cities of Judah. Little among the cities of Judah. So if you're taking note of it, you just go back and say, okay, that's the description. B is the answer to this question, it, it, that it is that. Now, just FYI, just so you guys know, so you can see, so there's nothing good comes from, that's Nazareth. Uh, that's where Jesus goes there. And so they said, no, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's not Bethlehem. Bethlehem is actually Ruth's city. When, when Ruth dies, she ends up being buried in Bethlehem. It's also Rachel's city. I'm sorry, when Rachel died and is buried there, it's also Rachel's city. It's Ruth's city that she leaves from Bethlehem. So all of those are kind of true. But when it comes to the birth of Christ, it is that it's the little city. Now, I just pause to say, woven into the actual account of the birth of Christ are these incredible truths. God is sovereign. God keeps his promises. And God works through the least of things. God chose a city, not the most prominent city, not the most powerful city, not the most populous city. He chose a little city and said, I'm going to work there. And that's a part of what God does. 
that God looks in our world and he doesn't choose the most powerful. Paul would say, there's not many of you who are mighty. Many of you are, we are the foolish things that God works through, that God says, I like working through small things. So it's, a, it's an encouraging thing that we'd look even into the account of scripture and say, yep, that's exactly the way God works. So it's not surprising at all that it's Bethlehem that he works it through this little city. All right, number seven. What did the innkeeper tell Joseph? Well, that account is in verse 7. So go there again and see with me. And she, that is Mary, brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Okay, so what's the question? Now, this is a little bit trick question. So I know this, and it's a little trick question. FYI, there's no innkeeper. So, I mean, I kind of asked you, like, what did the innkeeper say? Well, it's actually none of the above because there actually is not an innkeeper. Now, again, let's just pause and just say, I just want you to make sure you see it this way because some of you are like, there's an innkeeper. I have seen, do you know how many? I was the innkeeper in the play. Like that, I always played the innkeeper. There has to be an actual innkeeper in the story. But again, it just doesn't give it to us that way. There's no innkeeper mentioned. And, well, I don't want to press this too hard. There might not even be an end. What do you mean, Jim? What are you saying? Well, let me just put it back up on on the page. So there it gives it to us, Luke 2 that you just read. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So I circle that word in, and that's how it's translated in the English language. Not a bad translation, but it might be a mistranslation. It's not what the original says in the Greek text. It's certainly not a hotel. That's, they didn't have those. Motel 6 didn't exist in that day. In fact, it was not a part of Jewish culture. It's not that there weren't anything, but they were usually really bad places. For, for the Jews, this idea of hospitality was huge in their culture. To, to not let somebody stay in your home would have been almost unheard of. So for most people staying in other places, you stayed in, a, in somebody's home. Add to that, interestingly enough, that word in is probably better translated guest room. That is how it's translated in other places in the scripture. For example, the night before Jesus goes to the cross, he gets his disciples and has them gather together in what we know is the upper room, upper room where they're gonna kind of celebrate the last supper. It tells us in this same gospel, in Luke 22, verse 11, then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where's the guest room? Uh, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. Guest room is the same exact word that's used there in Luke chapter 2, but we know it there here as the upper room. Like this is going to be, you know, in those days, often the second story in a home that would be a bigger room that you could have gatherings in. That would be your place where you'd eat or even just kind of let people come and stay. And so it's probably speaking of the same reality. So again, there's no innkeeper. There might not even be an inn. And that just raises a lot of questions that the Bible doesn't give us the answer to. So why is there no room? I mean, if this is a house, and most likely it's a house of their relatives, right? I mean, Joseph had to go to Bethlehem because he was the house and lineage of David. He's got family. He's got family in Bethlehem. Probably they put him up. Why is there no room? I have no idea. It's just a guess. Was it just too many people? It's like, man, you just do not know how many people we have here. (laughs) How do you get a moment alone anywhere? Maybe that's the only place they could find a quiet space. It's also possible that um, they'd fell into disfavor. Mary's pregnant. They're not officially married yet. She's betrothed. It could easily have been a little bit of an ostracized 
place from her family, that they, weren't, they had no space for them, no, no opening to them. I don't know if that's the answer. Either way, again, there's just not an innkeeper. So, tricky question, but hopefully you guys did well. So, number seven, we got that. Number eight, which animals, animals were present at Jesus' birth? Well, again, same verse, but let's just read it again. Verse seven, she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Simply put, there's no animals mentioned in the text. So the answer to that question is D, none of the above. If you put C, then you don't know Jewish called pigs. No, no, no pigs. You know, no pigs are there. Could there have been sheep and, and cattle there? Maybe. I mean, it is a manger. It is a place where animals would, would feed, but they're just not mentioned. It's equally possible that there were no animals there. It's equally possible there are none. But here's the thing. God mentions none. Now, why do I make a deal of this? It's a weird deal. I don't know why it is, but sometimes the added things to Scripture seem to take up more prominence in people's mind than the actual things that are there. So that for most people, you know, when they think about the manger, it's like, oh, and then there were the sheep and then the cattle. And then there was like, you know, probably was, you know, they have all these animals in their mind and they have all the plays and all the things. And it's not that it's, it's just not a part of the story. It's not a part of the actual account. It's not that it's wrong that we, uh, you know, but it's also, that's just not where our focus should be. And we want to get a focus on what's actually there, and there's no animals actually mentioned. All right. Number nine, what did the angel not tell the shepherds? Well, let's keep reading. We pick it up in verse eight. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Well, we read it through, and so which one's not found there? It's D, behold, the virgin shall be with child. That's actually a prophecy given out of Isaiah, but is not spoken here by the angel. It's a little bit of a trick question. Again, I do that. That's just my quiz, and so I just, I'm sorry. But I guess in one sense, somebody's going to be saying, but Jim, it doesn't say gospel. I mean, you said there in number B, I bring you the gospel. Well, it does say gospel, just in other translations. So you go back and read it again there, as you look at it, and, and the angel's speaking there, and he says it to him this way in verse 10. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings. Some of your translations will say good news, which, by the way, is what gospel means. The gospel means good news. In fact, that's how it's translated in a lot of places in the scripture. So this same Greek word would be used when, in, in uh, Romans when Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed to tell everybody the gospel that I preach the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus, and that only accentuates it. So when we think about the gospel, it is good news, and so it's kind of amazing that right here he's saying, I'm going to give you the gospel that is going to bring great joy. I'm going to bring you the good news of the Savior. I'm going to bring you the gospel, which is exactly what we need, and it's a part of this story in the midst of it. Kind of fun. Lots of stuff there. We could go further, but we'll keep going. Number 10. What were the swaddling cloths and the manger to the shepherds? Well, that's the next verse. So go back there again, verse 12. So this is the angel speaking to the shepherds. And he says, And this 
will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. What are the swaddling cloths? What are the manger? They are guides. They are guides to find Jesus with. They are guides to find him with. Now, this is really kind of important, so I just need you to kind of tune in with me for a moment because it could be that some of what we're going to say in these next couple questions is some of the most important things you need to hear this morning. So when we think about a sign, and he says this will be, again, notice the sign, the sign that you're going to find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, the idea of a sign. It's meant to draw your attention to something so you see it, it draws your, your focus to there, but it gives you direction, right? I mean, you guys know how this works. You know, so you invite somebody to go to lunch. You say, hey, we're going to go to a restaurant, and, and, and if you're going to send them over to there, they look for the sign. Like, you get the sign, it says, okay, this sign means eat here. Like, that's how I know where to go because the sign gives me direction. Some of you are kind of garage sale shoppers, and you know the garage sale signs. Like, when you see the garage sale sign, it's like, it's pointing me over here. The sign's on Main Street, but it's saying, turn here to get to where you want to go, because what you're looking for is this direction. So simple kind of thing, sign is that which points us to find this. So there is a sense that when we think about this, that he's telling the, 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 the shepherds, hey, this is the sign. This is how you'll know. This is how you'll know the one that God sent. This is how you're going to know the one who's bringing the gospel of great joy to all people. This is how you find it. Okay, that's going to be helpful, but that takes us to the next question. So number 11, well, what are the swaddling cloths? I mean, they're signs, it's a sign, but what are they? Well, let's just again look at it in verse 12. I mean, it just tells it to us, and I just want you to see it. This will be the sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths. Swaddling cloths. What are they? Well, I'm going to tell you, I believe the answer is D. I believe the answer is grave clothes. Now, track with me for a moment. Just think this through because this can again kind of important. Um, let me just be clear. I can't prove this. I, I, can't, I can't 100% prove this one from Scripture. Um, it's my conjecture. Um, and, and so you might want to argue with me at the end of the, the, the test. That's fine. It's still my test. So you're still wrong. Um, just kidding, just kidding. Um, but again, I want you to think it through for a moment. It's still, it's still what I want you to think through because we have this thing. He says, hey, there's a sign to you. There's going to be a way that you're going to recognize Jesus. And so here's what happens. I mean, sometimes uh, people will, will think about this and they'll say, what, you know, you'll ask, well, what's a swaddling cloth? And they'll say, well, that's what you wrap a baby in. If I could just ask you this, if that's what every baby in Bethlehem was wrapped in, how is this a sign? How is this a sign? If this is what babies had, then it would be like, so how am I going to know the baby Jesus? He's got a diaper on. Okay, that didn't help me at all. Like, they all got diapers on. I mean, how can I tell this one from every other one? How, how am I going to, there must be something unique. And I would put to you my personal opinion, just I think from the text, but reasoning through, is there was probably not another baby in Bethlehem Maybe not another baby in all of Israel. Maybe not another baby on planet Earth that was wrapped like Jesus was wrapped. I think it must have been something unique. I think it must have been something like, you're not going to find any other baby like this. This is something different. My personal opinion is that it was probably grave clothes. Part of the way I get there is because, well, there's an interesting kind of a reference that's given to us in John's gospel. After Jesus dies and so 
And they, they take him down from the cross and they're going to bury him. It says they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in strips of linen uh, with the spices as is the custom of the Jews is to bury. It's not the exact same Greek word. So I don't want anybody to think that, I'm, that it is here, but I think it's describing the same thing. So when someone was buried, you didn't just kind of wrap them in a blanket. They would wrap them in strips that would wrap around their body. It was kind of how they prepared them for death. My personal opinion is that, the, that when they, you know, and Jesus is born, somehow that's the only thing they could get their hands on. Somehow that's the only thing that's there because they, they're wrapping him in these swaddling cloths that somehow are very, very different. Somehow they're, they're not that, again, I would put to you again, I think they're grave clothes. Now, there's a lot of other theories out there. I mean, I even read one this week, and again, I've heard it before, but some of you, they'll say, well, you know, they're, they're, this is a, the, you know, near Bethlehem, and so the shepherds, they were probably had, you know, sheep getting ready for the sacrifice, but here's the simple deal. The shepherds didn't bring this. This isn't something that came from the shepherds. This is something that Mary and Joseph somehow get their hands on here, and I just put to you, it had to be unique. And if you can get this, if I'm making just a, a tiny bit of sense, then it is kind of like this picture that I have up on the top left of the screen, that somehow you would have looked at this baby and you would have seen something, something that, it, that maybe you didn't understand now, but we can look back now and understand there's a foreshadowing of the cross here. This is the one who's going to die. This, that the very moment he's born, He's wrapped in swaddling claws that I would put to you, I think it's the same thing that's going to happen after he dies. And I think that's incredibly significant. I think there's something here that's inviting us in the text to see how powerful this is. We'll hold that thought. A little bit more to say on that, but let's go to the next question because it is kind of connected. So swaddling claws, I think they're grave clothes. What's a manger? Well, again, it doesn't just tell us, but we see, you know, we, we can read it there in verse 12. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. So what's a manger? Well, I want to put to you, and I think I can hold this one out to you as a solid thing. A manger is a hollowed out rock. A manger is a hollowed out rock. It's not a bassinet, obviously. It's not a cave. I mean, sometimes people see this when they think about the manger. They'll see like the, the little um, nativity scenes that people have, and maybe they're made out of wood, or maybe they're in a cave. But the word manger literally means feeding trough, kind of a, a feeding space. So when you think about what a manger is, it is kind of that picture of, of where that would happen. Now, because we're Americans, and because uh, we have such an abundance of wood, when we think about that, we think about you know, wooden feeding trough. And so even in, in my little picture up there on the top left of the screen, it's a wooden feeding trough. That's kind of the way we see it, which is very American. It's very much the way we are. It's very not a part of Israeli culture. If they ever open up the borders of Israel where we can travel again, I invite you to go with us someday. If Jesus doesn't come back, if he does come back, maybe we'll just all to go together because I want to tell you there's something incredibly significant. Then we think about this sign, this one, this, this babe who's lying in a manger. I will take you there and I can show you all over Israel that archaeological evidence for what a manger looks like. And what you're seeing on the screen, these are mangers. Uh, that the way they would make them is not out of wood, they make it out of rock. I could take you one. This is one of one's my, my favorite ones, and you could even see where they would maybe tie the animals up on the side. They made it out of rock because wood was a precious commodity. So most building took place not out of wood, 
It took place out of rock. And so the archaeological evidence is, again, that a manger is this, it's not, you know, a wooden little piece. It was, they made them out of rocks because that's abundant in Israel. They got like a bunch of rocks. I mean, you can find them everywhere. So it's just how they did it. And I think it's space for us to see it. So culturally relevant, yes. Yes. 